Welcome to the Level Up Artist Podcast. We are your hosts, Adriana M.A. and Jackie Sanders. We're two art professionals sharing for the advice and business lessons we have learned along our creative journeys. We talk to artists, leaders, and, prof- and art professionals to demystify their creative process and discover new ways to succeed as a career-minded artist. If you find value in these conversations, please go ahead and subscribe. This will help other creatives like you find our podcast and you'll be notified when we drop a new episode every Tuesday. And on today's episode, we are extremely delighted and excited uh, to welcome watercolor artist, Ryan Fox. Welcome, Ryan. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here to have me. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. We're so excited to talk to you about a whole range of different topics and I'm sure fun rabbit hole conversations, but especially your transition from photography to watercolor, your advice on teaching other artists, as well as recording a bonus segment on navigating multiple income streams for our podcast supporters at levelupartists.com. But real quick, before we dive in, uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into your background a bit for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or your beautiful artwork. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So Ryan is a traveler, teacher, photographer, artist, and father. After receiving a BFA in photography from the University of Michigan, he began to take photos abroad. After 13 years as a professional travel and wedding photographer, Ryan began thinking about the painting classes he took in college, especially watercolor. He transitioned to painting, Uh, using his travel photographs, creating reinterpretations of the original images with watercolor while using a variety of interesting techniques and surfaces. Brian is a signature member of the American Watercolor Society, as well as numerous state and regional societies. He has won numerous awards, and his work has been featured in various publications, including Watercolor Artists, Art on Watercolor, Art of Watercolor and Splash. His instructional videos on innovative watercolor techniques are also available through paint-tube.tv network. There it is <laughs> for those that are looking on YouTube. Yep. <laughs> and of course, that's the very formal introduction for our listeners, Ryan. But how would you describe your work to someone who maybe hasn't seen it before or isn't watching this on YouTube right now because you have a lot of them framed right behind you, which is amazing. Well, the best thing is I can show you. So I'm going to switch here to just a quick slideshow. And uh, so here is my my logo. I'm Ryan from Ryan Fox Painting. Uh, welcome, everybody. And then I'm going to go through some images here. My watercolors, this is an example of some images from uh, North Carolina that were printed in Our State magazine a couple years ago. This is downtown Durham, and we've got the Duke Chapel here. Uh, and, and so my watercolors are like, you know, just, I, I don't want to create photorealism. I used to take photographs. I'd spend days and hours, you know, getting the picture I wanted. But when I paint, when I paint, what I want to paint is just the interpretation of it. So here's a painting of Amsterdam, uh, which is a really funny place to take kids. They have lots of interesting questions. This is a watercolor boutique that was featured in Watercolor Artist magazine this year. And so watercolor is very versatile. This is a painting of the Eiffel Tower on top of Yupo, which is actually not paper, it's plastic, which is a really fun, difficult surface. And this is something I teach in my classes. Uh, actually kind of a fast painting, believe it or not. Uh, here's another Yupo painting. This one took me a lot longer than the other one. This is from Zurich. Uh, here's that Amsterdam painting again, kind of blown up a little bit larger. So for me, watercolor, this is a very kind of, I wouldn't call this photorealistic, but this one took me two weeks. Of just not just a lot of details section by section. So there, I think watercolor is a fun medium. You know, not that oil and acrylic aren't. There's so much you can do with it. This is back to Yupo again, and that's what I think is so much fun about watercolor. And the thing I love about it, and because I'm a messy painter, 
is that you know it cleans up really quickly it doesn't ruin any of your clothes uh, and, and it dries pretty quickly too so if you just hit it with a hair dryer or put it outside right now for two seconds it's bone dry in a sec um, so here's a painting of some uh, baseball minor league baseballs I did using only three colors and then here's a, a colorful painting an interpretation of Big Ben that I did wet into wet dropping lots of wet colors into wet colors and that's something that's very unique about watercolor that, that I really do enjoy because with you know, with oil and acrylic, you don't get that wet into wet effect as much. You can get it a little bit, but with watercolor is very different. Watercolor is unpredictable. And, and that's what I think is kind of fun about it, because I always get an idea in my head what I'm going to get. And then I'm like five seconds later, I'm like, well, let's do this instead. Uh, and I kind of like that the painting is almost guide me. And it always ends up being something better that I couldn't imagine. So here's an image of uh, Bruges, Belgium, um, which actually was, this was a really fast painting, again, using just three or four colors. And then we're going back to that Durham painting, which took me several weeks to paint. And here's a quick one I did, a poured watercolor, which is a different, another technique I do and teach. And here's another poured watercolor. This is the one on the cover of the, the DVD that they wanted me to recreate seven times, which- Oh boy. That, oh my goodness. Oh, oh my boy. God, that's bonkers. Uh, but yeah, so- Which I is had, definitely a lot for recreating any one piece. But oh, for, our, for our listeners who are watching and watch, seeing all these images on YouTube, clearly your subject matter and the range of skill with watercolor is very wide. Like the subjects that you cover from all over the world, local figures, landscape, architecture, oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's one thing that I'm always been super impressed with by your work is your application of different techniques to all types of subject matter is super and super impressive. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah. And so here, here's a painting of Nepal that I did. And this is one of the first watercolor, poured watercolors I ever did. And I did it when I was on crutches, you know, barely able to work. And this got accepted into the American Watercolor Society and won like a top 10 medal. So it's just, you just, you just never know what you're going to get sometimes. And, and so that, that's the beginning of the slideshow again. So for me, watercolor in painting is just, it's really fun because again, I get an image in my head where I'm gonna get, and then five seconds later, I'm like, well, it did this instead. Now let's go with it instead of getting upset. And that's something I'm always you know, telling my students, you know, cause I teach beginning and advanced watercolor classes and the beginners get really mad because they're like, well, this doesn't look like I wanted it to. <laughs> and and the yeah. reason for that is so what? You know, it, it ended up- Roll with it, learn. Yeah, just just go with it. You know, make it something, make something cool out of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and that's you know, and like don't get frustrated. Yeah, it you know it doesn't look like you want it, but who cares? No one knows that. Just yeah, yeah. This is what I want. So yeah, uh, you know, and watercolor I just think is fun, and and there's just you know there's a lot you can do with it, a lot of different services. So I work on Japanese rice paper. I work on Yupo synthetic, which is technically plastic. I work yep. on traditional paper too. I have lots of different techniques I do. And what I like to do is, I'm sure we'll get into this with the photography bit, but I, I take all these pictures and I come back and I have just, just thousands and thousands of photographs. It takes me sometimes, and this is what, this is really difficult for my wife and non-artist to understand, but <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> sometimes it takes me years until I can figure out how I want to paint this scene. Mm -hmm. But I have a picture and I know it's a good picture. I want to make a painting of it, but I'm not sure how to create it or what to do with it. And then sometimes I'll just be going through a magazine and I'll just see some colors or I'll get inspired by a technique. I'm like, that's how I got to paint that scene. Yeah. So I have yeah. all these pictures sitting around from all these different places. I never know what I'm going to do with them until that idea hits my head. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to paint this scene like that. And that's why I can't work in a series because 
you know, I'll, I'll go from a Raleigh scene to like a Panama City scene the next day. Then I'll go back to Iceland a few days later, always mm-hmm. back and forth. You know, I, I tried to do like 30 paintings of Angkor Wat one time and I got bored. I'm like, I, I, I can't do this. I'm not inspired. <laughs> it's, not how it it's not how my brain works. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hashtag artist life. This is what happens. But yeah, I do yeah. want to make sure I mention for those folks that perhaps could be in their car while they're listening to this, we're definitely going to be linking Ryan's information and we're going to encourage you, obviously, to either watch this on Spotify, which will have the video of this episode, um, or actually pop on over to YouTube so you can see the larger images of what Ryan shared. Obviously, always in teacher mode, Ryan. So you were showing like all the different examples. And of course, anybody that's like wondering whether or not they should even try watercolor, I hope he convinced you because the answer is yes. But I do want to like hop on on the time machine, so to speak, real Mm -hmm. quick. Yeah. And um, ask you about when did you first become interested? Obviously, we heard like, you know, when we were doing your introduction that you started with photography and obviously it's still an integral part of what you do with the watercolors. But when did you get started with interested in photography? Like, did you have a camera as a kid, things of that nature? And also was like watercolor already in the, you know, part of the mixture at that point? Or did that come much later in college? It kind of is like cyclical. So my pain, deg- my degree is in drawing and painting. And I, I took an oil class. I, I, I didn't hate the medium. I didn't love it. I, I could do oil paints, but I, I just it just took forever. I ruined my clothes. Uh, I, I never took acrylic and I took a watercolor class. I really enjoyed watercolor, but it wasn't taught by a real watercolor teacher. It was just I think she was the, the oil painting teacher. I liked the medium, but I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, but then I, I fell in love with photography. And then I just decided I'm gonna, even though I got the painting degree, there's no point in switching your, your art degree. I mean, who cares? Um, yeah. So I ended up really focusing on photography the last two years. Uh, I enjoyed watercolor and I kept all my watercolors. I gave away everything else. And I knew at some point in time I'd go back to it. So it was like 20, um, what was it, 2011? My wife was pregnant with her second. And, you know, I've been selling pictures for years online, working with magazines and uh, stock agencies. And because of digital, every year that that ship, I would get paid half of what I got paid the year before. Yeah. And you can't continue to do that. You know, and I thought I started to think about, well, I've got all these pictures from all these different countries. Why don't I go back to painting? Because then I could paint them and, I, you know, that can be at home with the kids and things. And so when my son was born, I started painting again. Nice. Uh, and, and, you know, doing it watercolors because I could put it away very quickly. And it's, um, yeah, it just was, it was perfect for me. I, I enjoyed it because, you know, they, again, they dry quickly. They're mostly non-toxic and you don't eat your paints, um, you know, but it's, I just, I thought it worked out perfect. And then I just, you know, I had to figure out how to you know, make a living doing that. And, and that, that's the hardest part, of course. Yeah. I think that's so interesting too, thinking about your creative journey, that, that pivot back to watercolor it's kind of that perfect blend of timing from both your personal life of starting to grow a family, but then also professionally and at, from a business income standpoint, always thinking about income streams of mm-hmm. that evolution with technology and how then the creation of smartphones and photography just in general becoming more accessible to like yeah. the day-to-day yeah. person's photography that I'm like you said, stock image websites were probably paying less and less. So that mm-hmm. was felt like a less lucrative opportunity for you as an artist. So that's really cool how you acknowledge that and was able to observe that at the time and then pivot into something that would be 
more demanding and therefore something that you can charge more money for while also <laughs> staying home, which is awesome. Um, yeah, so when you were in the beginning of your watercolor journey, though, like how were you developing those techniques? Was it returning to a lot of the lessons you learned in college or how did you develop new techniques as a watercolor artist? No, I didn't really learn much in college because, again, the teacher was like an oil painter. Uh, so she wouldn't teach me watercolor. I This is pretty much I think a lot of people do. I just sat down and, you know, 2011 YouTube, I just watched as many videos as I could get. I still have five or six DVDs, which I can't even play anymore. I have nothing that plays them. Uh, I bought some DVDs. I got subscriptions to the magazines, and I just started looking at things and trying to figure it out. So I really didn't get, like, necessarily formal instruction in watercolor, but I had the background in photography. I had the drawing background, so I understood composition. Mm -hmm. um, I, knew, you know, I knew how to compose things. And people look at me like I'm crazy when I say this, but it's much easier to be a painter than to be a photographer. Because when you're a photographer, you're stuck with what's physically there. Like the buildings, you can't squish them together anymore. Um, but as a painter, I can take the picture and I can move things around. I can take out the car. I can take out the people. Uh, I, I can make it the scene that I want to see and not with it. You know, instead of sitting there with the camera waiting for that beautiful sunlight on a rainy day, I can make it that picture when I paint it. So I think it's actually easier. So now I don't even bother getting up for sunrise unless I really want to. Uh, I, I just I get up and I take the picture and I say that's going to be a sunrise picture. So yeah. I think it's easy. And one of the things I like about uh, having the background with photography, which certainly helped, is that I knew how to photograph my artwork and digitize it because once that original walks out the door, it's gone. Yeah. Um, and I, and I didn't. I can I can pull this out. There is, and I've said this many times. Um, there is this painting, which I think I've told you ladies about art space with yes. NCSU, <laughs> where I didn't like the painting, but what I did is I put Godzilla into it. And because I have digital copies of this, I have probably made almost $10,000 on just prints of this alone. And that's definitely one lesson I feel like that you are so generous to share with every artist that will listen in the best way. Um, okay. Like, photograph all of your pieces mm -hmm. once it sells or even before it sells like make prints of them because that turns that one-time painting into a lifelong income stream that then be. once it starts building because just because this person found the painting this year what about the person two years from now who doesn't even know you exist yet they're probably equally yeah. going to love that painting. And yes, yeah. you can maybe try to recreate the original, but having a print means that you already did the work and then it may be a more affordable price point to more people. It's just that income stream that keeps on giving. So yeah. yep. And there's always going to be NCSU students, no matter yep. what. It'll be, right. That college will keep going. We'll keep yeah, cranking out students. Yep. Yeah. I probably have always like 10 copies of this anywhere I go. Uh, <laughs> And I'm not saying it's one of my best paintings. Like some of the best ones that I love don't sell. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, that's what happens to any artist. Like the yeah, ones yeah. that sell aren't necessarily the ones that we are the most in love with. But I mean, I love what you just said there too. And, you know, again, we both appreciate, I know Jackie does too. Uh, we both appreciate that you were so generous with us since the beginning, even before we were at ArtSpace, you know, we were these two like art dorks going like, Ooh, I wonder, and I have all these questions and you always shared with us. And that was one thing that like struck me from early on was like your idea and like that focus of like, this isn't just 
you know, fine art, you know, with your nose turned up, this is like a way to make a living and pay your bills too. Like there's other considerations with it. And um, also the idea too, of like you either spend the time to learn to take your own photos and edit them to get them ready for prints or pay somebody else to do it. But like, oh, it's, it's a cool. worthy endeavor to explore at least and we'll see if your work's a good fit for it, for sure. Um, which depending how textured some people are, it's a lot more challenging than flat. Um, so there's that to consider. But I do want to ask you, you wear a lot of hats, not just talking about the literal one on your head right now. <laughs> you do wear actually a lot of physical hats. <laughs> but um, exactly, yep, yep, yep. Almost, I almost always see you with a hat. Um, so you're obviously a studio artist. Uh, you teach workshops, you know, at various institutions. You do art fairs. You market your work online and prints and everything else. You're always traveling. You have family life. How do you stay organized? I, 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 well, I'm not the best sometimes. <laughs> well, it's so. So one of all right. So I know what sells when I go to art shows because I've been to art shows and you see, like, if you go to an art show in Raleigh, you know you're going to sell a lot of Raleigh prints and things like that. So you know, I get organized by by where I'm going. If I went to Michigan, for example, I take a lot of University of Michigan things. Um, I do have databases at home to keep track of all my expenses, how much money I'm making from different things. It's not the greatest system in the world because I'm online with lots of different places. Sometimes it's hard to keep track of all the different places, what images sell, what don't sell, but you do notice trends. And so, you know, I, I you know, I look at all those different things. Like I love Etsy. Etsy's really good with the number system. It tells you how many things you've sold of it. That gives you good ideas. But then you get other websites that just they only list things individually. So you just have to figure out a system that works for you. When I'm here, you know, all my cards, and I, I probably shouldn't be moving around things too much, but all my cards are organized by sections. You know, all my prints are organized by sections. And then when I'm replenishing prints, I go through the sections and just say, I'm missing this print, I'm missing this print, I've got to get more. So I, it, I try to keep track of all that stuff. For paints, I keep things organized by colors or manufacturers. You know, it, you got to have some sort of a system or else there's this chaos. And this is one thing I figured out, which I'm actually kind of proud of. Uh, people would come in and they'd say, hey, we want to take a look at this painting. I'm like, well, you can't because I don't know where it is. It's in those boxes over there. And so what I've done now, and I had this published in Watercolor Artist Magazine, is I, I create these little like one inch by two inch like, cutouts of what with the image. And I put Whoa, that it, I love and I, that. And then I attach the Velcro to the boxes. So I know exactly what's in every single box over there for storage. That's so yeah. smart. And, yeah. and so I don't, I don't have to look in the box. I know exactly what's in it. And when these sell, they just get thrown out. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So all my boxes over there, which again, it's kind of hard to move things around in that corner. I'll have a sticker on them that tell me what's in I that. love that. That's such a cool idea. And I find that I've almost done something similar um, with putting a picture of my painting on the outside of it, even like when I wrapped it up for storage, obviously yeah, your yeah. business is very different in terms of scale of the number of prints that you hold at any one time, the mm -hmm. number of pieces and different designs that you have. Um, but it starts with that of we as artists are very visual people. So be able to have that almost visual checklist in a way of saying, okay, here's all of these pieces. Here's all of these paints. Mm -hmm. And I love what you mentioned too, on finding the system that works for you. And I mean, you've been doing this for several years now. I'm sure I've gone through many organization 
strategies oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always evolving too is one thing I'm picking up also. Oh yeah. And, and all my images of, of the online ones are the ones I store on my computer were organized by country first and then what the rest of it is. So, you know, if it's a painting of, you know, th this lady on the front of the DVD, this is from Guatemala. So it'd be Guatemala and it's say Antigua woman. So I, it's the country and then the name of the image. So I can keep track of what, what everything is. So if I need to find a picture of Mexico, I know it's automatically in the Mexico section in the Mexico folder. So you got to have some sort of, you know, organization, uh, you know, so I, I, you know, I wish I were better sometimes. The thing I hate to do is like receipts. So like I, yeah. I, get, I keep all my receipts and there's just, just a big stack. I'm going <laughs> to do it once a month. And then four months later, I'm like, I haven't done it. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. yeah, we always have the best intentions, which I feel like is very common when setting up organization systems is like, yeah, in the perfect world, when the system is always used perfectly, it will work. But <laughs> we're always running in a million directions. So real quick, what advice would you have to artists if they had a similar like high volume um, art business or often did markets were often moving their pieces from one place to another for fairs. What is one piece of advice that you would say this was the most effective in prioritizing when it comes to organization? You have to know where the originals are and, and that, you know, cause prints you can always make. If, if someone orders a print from you and you don't have it, you can order it and you can get it the next day or in two days. But with the originals, you've got to know where things are. So Again, what I do with databases is I have all those little pictures. I put them into databases. So I have them in different folders. So I know where, where, what galleries they're in. I take them off all the, all the places online where I sell them online, like Versace, my website, all these other places. I have to make sure all those images go down. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I do make errors. But for the most part, you know, if I deliver 10 images to a gallery, you only have to update 10 images. We have to make sure that all those 10 originals aren't online anymore. So you take those down, you put those into a folder, then you go pick them back up, you reactivate everything. That you got to keep track of that stuff. Cause like I had somebody order an original painting when I was in Europe and you know I got the notification when I was in where was I Munich with my son. And I'm like, where is that painting? I have no idea. But I, I looked on my computer that night and I said, oh, it's in the Wallflower Gallery in Chapel Hill. So I told the guy to go pick it up there because I'm going to be gone. So yeah, you, you got to have some sort of a system. So for me, it's like little thumbnails, database systems. You know, it's not super complicated and I'm sure there's easier ways to do it, but it works for me. So, yeah, I love that. I think that's really great advice and definitely shows how much of an amazing mentor you are to other artists, which I do want to dive into a little bit your experience with teaching, because that's a huge part of your mm -hmm. art income stream as well as teaching other artists. So when did you first start teaching and offering workshops and do you remember what that first workshop was and what you taught yeah the first workshop was a poured watercolor workshop at art bar which used to be the art bar that jerry's artorama ran off of madry mm -hmm. oaks uh by triangle town center in raleigh and uh, that was my fourth year i think of painting and they, they asked me to do it and i had no idea how to teach so i asked my you know, my wife's a teacher so i had her sit down perfect and try to <laughs> Try to teach her how to do art, and she's like, "You're terrible at this." And I'm like, well, "That's not." <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, I've I've learned a lot about teaching, you know, different people, and, and you know, trying. And again, with watercolors, and I always tell this to my class. I know I shouldn't say this, but I'm always trying to make my lessons idiot proof. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're like, "There's no way you can screw this up." <laughs> uh, and so I'm trying to get these lessons that there's no way people can screw up. 
And I've actually think I've figured out a couple of them where they're the first couple, there's no way you can mess this up because it, yep. it's just colors. Uh, and then you put something else on top of it. And so it's just learning, you know, because some people are really, some people pick it up super, super fast. Yeah. Some people really struggle, but you've got to, you know, when you teach, you've got to have a thorough understanding of, you know, you know, for example, you've got to know what's in the tube. It, this is a blue color, but yep. is it just blue? No, mm-hmm. it's, it's manganese blue. It's got some other color and it. it's got a little bit of a green. You got to know mm-hmm. what's in the colors. So when I teach my classes, you know, I don't want to intimidate people, but I'm like, I'm going to give you a lot of information. Uh, it's your job to take, you know, take it home and, and learn from this, go home and practice it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to waste your time in the classes. I want you to learn as much as you possibly can. So I talk a lot about color, what's in the tubes, why your color is making mud, what's mm-hmm. in those different tubes, what are you putting together? Because you've got to understand that yellow and blue don't just make green. It, it's mainly 80% yellow, 20% blue makes a green, probably less than that. Mm-hmm. And you've got to have the right yellow and you have, have the right blue. Otherwise, you're going to get mud. So you've got to know, you know, what's in the colors. You've got to understand the way to apply the colors with watercolor. And that's one of the things about watercolor. It's hard. You can't just paint over it again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most <laughs> of the time. So you've got to know what you're putting down first, what you're putting down second. So when I teach, it's a lot about we're going to start real simple, idiot proof lessons. And then we'll get, you know, a little bit more difficult. Uh, and, and make it, you know, so if, if, at the end, I think they do a really good job after five or six weeks because they really are starting to understand the processes and all the different ways to teach. Yeah, and I love the idea that you're not approaching this as a, mm, I'm like, okay, I'm going to call it out. I'm just going to do it anyways. Like wine and design type place. We're not saying anything mm-hmm. about wine and design for the record. They're great time and place. Right, you're not taking the approach of like they're coming in and there's something already drawn out and they're filling in yeah. the blanks essentially. You're actually taking the time to help them understand the material better to, and, and some of the initial concepts of design, composition, things of that nature so that when you're not around anymore you know like the class is over the workshop's over they can take some of that information that they learned and continue their own you know self-learning process it's not a today we're going to paint a watercolor of of sunflower and you're going to use exactly this color and then you're going to outline it this way and it's just like very prescriptive where everybody's stuff probably comes out the same you're actually taking the time of giving them the tools necessary that if they do want to switch it up a little bit, you just gave them enough information to do so. Yeah. So they can and, add and a little I, individual touch. And I have some students where that's not, they want more like do this, do that, do that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, you know, but, but and that's fine them, too. Yeah. And that's yeah. fine too. But I tell them, I'm going to give you lots of information. I want you to go home and practice it because you yep. need to, you know, because, you know, and, and I do some hard stuff in the classes because yeah. I'm like, I do not want to waste your money. I want you to learn things. You might be frustrated, but if you go home and practice this, you know, I think you'll, you'll get it. Because that's how I learn. I, I do something and I say, God, this sucks. What did I do <laughs> wrong? And how can I make this better? And I learn from that. And that's, you know, that's, and I tell people I've been doing this for 13 years. I still screw paintings up. Yep. And that's, I don't know if I can find an example. You know, what I always tell people with watercolor and have a journey. Of course, I can't. You know, it's it like, what is this? I don't know what this was. This was a demo. <laughs> it, beautiful. It but the beautiful thing about watercolor is if you, you've got the front side. If you screw up, you got the back side. You got two yeah. chances. So don't be afraid. 
Yeah, unlike a stretched canvas, you know, that's already stapled, you know, it's a little bit harder to turn it around. Uh, yeah, at least yeah. the oils, acrylics, you just keep painting on top. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, um, what is your favorite part about teaching and your least favorite? My favorite part about teaching is just talking to people and seeing what they do. And I mean, I've got some students who are now, you know, they started beginning painters with me. Now they're entering competitions. Like one of my students won an award in the show last year. I didn't even nice. get into the show. And I'm like, good for you. Like, it's like, you know, so I, I love seeing the people, you know, and, and then I get a lot of repeat students, which is, you know, makes me feel good because I feel like they're they're still learning something, but I'm always trying to give them something different too. And that's probably my least favorite part about it is because I get these people who've taken me for six or seven years. I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, I got to teach them something new, which means yep. I have to figure out something new. But I think that kind of pushes me to do, to try something new. So I'll see something in a magazine or a book or online and I'll say, I'm going to figure that out and I'm going to try to teach them how to do this now. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of, it constantly pushes me. Uh, I guess the other thing I don't like was, uh, and this is the reason I'm not teaching as much as I was before, because I was teaching four days a week, uh, which was in, in four different places. Whoa. It, that was too much. The driving time, like I would get into the car some days and I'd be like, do I go to Durham? Do I go to Cary? Do I go to Wake Forest? I don't know where I'm going. Whoa. Um, right. And that's exhausting both physically, but then also of your creative time, which like teaching yeah. workshops, is its own creative outlet. Right. But it's very different than your independent creative process. Yeah. And I never yeah. teach the same lesson again. So it would be four classes in a week, but they weren't the, the four, the four of the same lessons. They were all four different lessons. Mm. Yes. You're just, switching it around. Yeah, and that's why I did 188 paintings last year, which, <laughs> you know, it was fine, but it's it's a bit much. I want to get in the studio and get a little more time for, you know, the bigger pieces. I, yeah. You know, I yeah, plus teaching takes, a, takes some of the creative energy out of you anyways, whether you want it to or not. You know, it takes away from like, I'm concentrated on this series of work. I'm going to finish these up. Wait, hold up. I got to teach these classes before I can come back to it. And it's like, ah, sometimes you feel like you lose the mojo that you had into something that was in progress. And then you I had a whole pack of paintings that I just can't seem to finish. Like I started as demos and I just, I'm just like, I'm just, I, I don't want to work on that right now. I want to do something else. So yeah. Yeah. You'll eventually go back to that, even if it's years from now. Cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, um, you mentioned earlier, you know, at the beginning of our conversation, um, you know, you were showing on screen, you know, one of the DVDs that you've done. What's that process like to create those instructional videos? And would you do it again? <laughs> it, well, this one, so this draw each of these drawings took me five and a half to seven hours, and I had to do seven of them. Oh my goodness. Um, because they they, you know, they've got to have they film the whole DVD in one day. And, you know, they they, they, wow. they don't want additional takes. They want paintings in different stages. They want to finish it. Like and, Bob Ross. Uh, Bob Ross, yeah. But it's yeah, like, Brian you know, Fox Ross. There it is. So the it was really interesting because I did some work as a commercial photographer uh, after college. And I, I was around, you know, that, that scene where you're setting up the lights, you've got reflectors and all that stuff. So when I walked into the, 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 uh, the place to do the DVDs in Austin, you know, I saw the, the lights, I saw the how they're flagging things off, and I completely understood that. So it, it wasn't like really weird for me. And, you know, I just had to sit there and paint and just, you know, articulate and talk and say, we're doing this, I'm doing this, then we're going to go to the next stage. So it actually wasn't super, super difficult for me to do that. Um, 
you know, because because I've been in that environment before. And actually, it's kind of funny because at one point in time, the guy's like, we're getting a flare from something. We get a light glare from something. And I said, oh, you've got to flag that light there. And the guy's like, wait a second. You know about, you know, flagging? I'm like, yeah, you got that's a reflection that's sitting at. It's bouncing and that's why it's creating this because I've, I've done that with photography. So that was kind of fun. Now, with with the DVDs, I'm kind of conflicted. Um, I, I'm glad I did. It was a good experience. You know, it gives me a little bit of income here and there. Uh, on, on the flip side, I had a lady who was going to hire me in Belgium. She wanted me to fly out before COVID uh, and you know teach a workshop out there. Wow. And then I think what happened is she ended up just buying the DVD yeah. and not fly out there. So there's always a downside. And with the DVDs, since it's produced by a company, they they get the majority of what it sells for. Yeah. I get you know, a little bit. So I, I'm kind of, you know, I don't know if I would do it again. I'm glad I did it. Um, but I'm glad to have those. Um, you know, and I just don't know if I'd do more of them, and, um, you know, because I think I'd rather do them myself because now the technology is so easy to use. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's not going to be as good as that company, but, you know, I could probably hire somebody for a lot cheaper and do it myself. And that's something I, I think about doing in the future. And then yeah. I could market myself. So. And you're definitely tech savvy, you know, for those of us that, you know, uh, that may have met Ryan in person before. I mean, yeah, it's not <laughs> uncommon for him to have a setup where there's like, you know, four or five different cameras going all the different angles. And he's yeah, like switching yeah. between the screens. So it's like and you have the photography background, like you're not afraid of that part of it. And you're also like relatively extroverted, if not fully full-blown extroverted so it's not like you're afraid of being in front of the camera either like you're used to talking to people and instructing them so it's I don't know it's a great combination yeah you know photography skills as as an artist I I think are super necessary because you know you you get this great painting you've got it if you're going to put it online you've got to get a great picture of it and I'm not you can get great pictures with a cell phone there's nothing wrong with a cell phone but you're not going to make a 16 by 20 print of it and you've got to know the correct lighting. If you're working with oil or acrylic, you're working with something that's reflected. So you've got to understand how to get that light off of it, but still light it up so it's not. And that's, you know, you, you've got to have those good pictures because if you're going to go out there and put things online, it, it has to look good. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to sell it. Mm-hmm. Not online, at least. Very true. And I think that's also touches kind of full circle connecting both of those points is how the shift in technology really has shifted the power and the different jobs that we as artists have, where Mm -hmm. when you were filming the DVD, maybe the technology wasn't as accessible or even just getting it out to the public, it made sense to partner with a company in terms of they could produce the DVDs. People were, of course, purchasing DVDs a lot more readily versus these days, a lot of people are still relying or are relying on streaming Mm -hmm. or, hey, you could film a video in your studio have it on your website, and then they can instantly download it for X amount of dollars, you know, and yeah. that was not a technology that the consumer was used to, or as a business owner, that I think, again, just shows like your adaptability to these changing trends as an artist, which is- Yeah, and like they give, you know, I got 10 copies of these DVDs, and and these the last 10 copies they gave me, I can't give these things away because no one, everyone's like, I don't have a DVD player anymore. Yeah, no I was just thinking that. I have a yeah, handful of DVDs <laughs> and I'm like, I literally, my like, my, even my laptop doesn't have a CD-ROM nope. drive. Not anymore. So. Yeah, I have, I think I have an external CD drive I can plug into my computer somewhere yeah. in the closet. So yeah. if I want know DVDs that I've, yeah. I've purchased, I'm going to have to find that and plug it in. Yeah, right. So everything's $15 on Amazon, people, if you can't find one. 
fifteen dollars. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's very accessible these days, thank goodness. But yeah. no, that's amazing. Yeah, and I did see when I was like uh, when we were doing the research for this episode, I did see you know that that company does have a streaming option for mm-hmm. your for your courses, which is good for all those folks that are like, what am I going to do with a physical DVD these days? So there's that. Um, But we definitely, you know, with every episode, we'd love to ask our guests about how they define success as artists. But first, we're going to put in a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our Level Up Artists podcast supporters. If you have gotten value out of listening to our podcast, please consider becoming a supporter for $4 a month. This podcast is our way of sharing it forward and we get so much value out of these conversations ourselves, but producing a podcast isn't free. We have personally invested in podcast equipment and video editing software, as well as dedicate our time to produce, edit, and distribute a new episode every week. By becoming a podcast supporter, you will help us keep the podcast running smoothly and get access to amazing off-the-record conversations with seasoned artists, authors, art collectors, gallery and museum professionals, as well as industry leaders. These conversations offer even more valuable advice for artists at various stages of their career. You also get access to our artist community platform and our gratitude for keeping the podcast going. Head on over to levelupartisthub.com to sign up and become a podcast supporter today. Welcome back, everybody. So Ryan, one of the questions we love to ask every artist that we have on the podcast is how do you define success? Doing something you love doing and actually maybe be able to make some money doing it, fingers crossed. Um, you know, it's like for me, you know, and everybody's definition of success is different. Some people want to win awards and shows. Uh, you know, I know a lot of artists focus on getting into shows, getting into galleries. I just want to be able to create the things I want. And I, this is not a good business plan, but I like to paint whatever I want and then I hope it sells. <laughs> and, and, and and sometimes I get those magical ones like the Godzilla painting, which sell and sell and sell. And then sometimes I get paintings I absolutely love to death and I can't sell. And I, I wish they would. But I just, you know, I enjoy the job. I just want to be able to make enough money doing it. And and that's the hardest thing because, you know, you've got your December's and you've got those months where it's like you can't do anything wrong. And then you've got January. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like June and July usually aren't very good either, where no one's buying artwork. And you're just like, okay, what am I going to do? I don't want to get a real job. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. That's how I define success. And I've been able to you know, make enough money doing this. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's a constant, as, as artists know, you work in it every day. People are not going to, sometimes people do approach you. And you get lucky, but unless you're that one in a million person, you got to go out there and put yourself out there. So if you want to get into a magazine, contact the magazine people, say, I want to write an article for you. And I guarantee that they're going to be like, yes, we'll do it. Uh, and, and that's how I've gotten into lots of those magazines that I've just, I've said, I want to, you know, want to write an article for you. We let me do it. And, you know, and usually they're more than willing to, as long as you approach them. Same with workshops. Like you contact people and say, I'd like to teach a workshop up there. And, you know, do you want to do this? And, you know, usually they'll say yes if they look at your stuff and they like it. Yeah, I love that advice. It's about making opportunities for yourself. And even if it doesn't happen right away, the next time they're in a meeting saying, okay, does anyone have any good news article stories, some feel good connected to the local community? You'd be like, actually, let's highlight this artist that emailed me a month ago. I've seen their yeah, stuff on yeah. Instagram for the past month and they're really doing awesome stuff. 
great. So it doesn't yeah. even always happen right, right away too. Yeah. And once you establish a relationship with them, like now they contact me. They're like, hey, will you write an article for this issue? Do have something to mind? I'm like, not yet, but I'll think of something. Give me a few weeks. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I can do this. Yeah, um, I love again, that. You know, I'm not a great writer. I admit that, but I can make it good enough. I can take the pictures, which again, photography helps, uh, you know, so you just got to get yourself out there and then, you know, put your work in different places. Um, I'm working on a, a deal right now for uh, uh, a, a hotel in Durham, and they want maybe 300 prints for rooms. And we're talking, they contacted me, they found my work online. This could be some serious, you know, payday. Um, yeah. They do some originals for them. So, you know, that's why, again, you guys got to get yourself out there, uh, you know, it, it, on different, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be the web, but you've got to get your name out there somehow. Uh, mm -hmm. And people won't be able to contact you then. So, absolutely. And I think that's also a testament, too, to what you mentioned earlier in the episode of make sure you photograph all your work. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the theme of it. Of imagine if that museum or that uh, hotel approached you and you hadn't photographed any of your pieces. Oh, oh yeah. Supplying 300 originals is very different than supplying 300 prints. <laughs> Both are right. very good paydays, oh, yeah. but yeah. one's a yeah. lot more realistic. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the so now, originals, I'd be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> because it's like selling my whole art business. It's fine. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Now, what is one piece of advice that you wish you had heard before you got started on your creative journey? And there's, oh man, there's so many of them. Um, I took, so Michigan, where I went to school, University of Michigan, um, it's the art, the art school had a, it was only offered in the spring and summer. And it was the business of being an artist. And they taught you how to do your taxes. They taught you what you can and can't write off. They taught you, you know, that if you do your business mileage, like if you if you have a studio and you're driving back and forth between the studio, you can write that stuff off. Can you have a home office? Can you write that stuff off? You have got to know how to do this stuff as, as an artist and a business person. Because I've talked to so many artists and I'm like, oh, so did you write that off? Did you write this off? And they're like, no, we can do that. I'm like, yes. You can't. So the 12 days I just spent in Europe and the week I spent in Panama City, Panama, where I shot 11,000 photographs, those are all tax write-offs. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, whatever money I can make, I can write that off. You have to make some money, of course, to be able to write it off. But you've got to know this stuff. You know, you've got to be able to do this. And instead of paying the government a bunch of money, I can write this off because, you know, yeah, I, if they audit me, I'll show them the 11,000 photographs I took. Right. Like this was a business trip. Yeah. Yeah, busted my rear, and I went to Iceland a year and a half ago, and I've got thirty-five paintings of that already. You know, that's amazing. That that place is amazing. I definitely yeah. Plus, I'm like hanging on the fact that you just said. I mean, this was what year, roughly, where you had the art of business class happening? Well, this this was 1998. Do you know how many artists we talked to where there's nothing business taught in their art schools, like yeah, at yeah, all? Yeah. I mean, we've yeah, had some exactly. that, yes, have something, but I haven't heard of one from, you know, <clears throat> just the other day, uh, aka in the 90s, where they taught that. That's incredible. That's yeah, amazing. I think it's, I think it's a travesty they don't teach it because they should teach I've, it. Every trip I've taken, I write it off as long as I'm taking pictures. Yeah. You know, Grant, my son was with me on this trip. I can't write off his portion. But I can write right. off the hotel because I still have to have a hotel no matter what. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, all that stuff is a write-off. 
And, you know, so that, that definitely helped. And, you know, it's, it, and I learned all that stuff early and I thought, this is fantastic. And that's what made me think I'm going to go travel the world. And that's why I started out doing photography, traveling. Cause I'm like, it's all a tax deduction. Like, why would I not do this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and for artists that like maybe haven't had that and are not sure where to start, they could always ask a record keeper. I mean, a bookkeeper or an accountant sure. that yeah. like does small business and then at least start to learn what you can, cannot write off. So definitely get your money's worth and ask all the questions about you can, what you can yeah, write off. Like, and especially overseas, like if you're self-employed, you yeah. can take the per diem for the meals and incidentals. You have to, you, you can't take just the total per diem. Uh, so you can't, um, you have to actually take the actual expenses for hotels, but then you can take the whole per diem for meals and incidental, incidental uh, if I can say that word, incidental. Uh, which is still way more money than I spent. Um, yeah. You know, but whatever, I can still write off $113 a day uh, of nice. those. And it's like, and I don't spend that much, but and that's perfectly legal. There's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. You don't have to keep receipts. Yeah. That's yeah. Amazing. So, so learn the code or find somebody that does. <laughs> Yeah. and do it legal way people um <laughs> but um ryan if somebody randomly hands you 100 bucks what would you splurge on or invest in has to be something that brings you joy and relates to your art or business this is going to be a really weird answer but because i just walked around for 12 days in europe i'm uh -oh. super, probably too old my feet hurt like hell and oh started, some good tennis so, shoes so the first thing i would do is i'd get myself a hundred dollar pair of really really good sneakers walking shoes because i need them right now because my feet were just i mean they hurt uh, honestly that's, that's a great answer that's very <laughs> practical as two artists who also just spent most of their days painting murals in various <laughs> places i'm like oh yeah like i really need to invest in overalls i need to it's invest important. in new shoes i need yeah, to do this it's it's part of the wardrobe of it just like businessmen yeah. go and buy a suit and tie we need good functional yeah, clothes yeah, we yeah, definitely need good footwear First thing I did when I got back was I got those Dr. Scholl's insoles. Yeah. Like thickest ones I could get for my shoes because I'm like, my, my feet just hurt. Yeah. Um, but we were walking like, you know, 10 hours a day. So that's what I would spend $100 on. Oh, Excellent man. answer. Well, Excellent German, answer. German lessons because <laughs> I thought I was going to do, I, I actually did okay in that country. It, it, speaking, I did okay speaking German with people, but I could definitely have used $100 lessons also. <laughs> Not not the easiest language in the world. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. That's fair. That'd be a good investment. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Real quick before we go, how can listeners stay in contact with you and um, learn about upcoming projects that you have coming up? Go to my website and it's uh, and I'll go to this uh, where that slide goes. So it's rfoxphoto. Perfect. Rfoxphoto.com. I've got all my classes in. Uh, workshops and upcoming art events listed on my classes page uh, i try to keep that as updated as possible links to all the classes and i you know i do teach a lot in the raleigh durham area uh, but i also you know i'm teaching in mesa arizona in october going back to pennsylvania again later this year so i'm getting nice. around the country a little bit more too so go to rfoxphoto.com and keep track of me there sign up for my newsletter i don't send many newsletters i should be better about that and then you <laughs> help me but i just I, I do like one a month at most and no that's it's, great it's like just pulling teeth i just don't want to do it uh, <laughs> and i will send one a month no more than that yeah um, yeah 
Maybe someday you can uh, enlist one of your kiddos to help out, but that's a story for another day. So we'll definitely make sure, Ryan, that we link all those uh, all those goodies on the show notes. And of course, you know, we'd love to have you uh, stay with us a few extra minutes so that we can discuss how you navigate multiple income streams uh, for a bonus segment for our podcast supporters. Okay. Yes. Great. Thanks for having me. It's good talking Excellent. to you. Excellent. Well, in the meantime, if you want to stay connected with us in between episodes, share your feedback or have a question you would like for us to answer on the podcast, you can reach us through social media. I'm going to make art across all platforms. And I'm at J Sanders Studio on all platforms. And if you want to follow the podcast, we are at Level Up Artists on Instagram. You can also visit leveluparticshub.com to hear the rest of this conversation and become one of our podcast supporters. Yeah, and with this, you'll get access to amazing off-the-record conversations like the one we're about to have with Ryan, um, as well as the community platform, and you help keep the podcast going. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.